Welcome to the Gaming Ride Home podcast for Friday, February 14th. I am Kyle Hilliard. Hey, here's a whole bunch of video game stuff that happened recently. Today, there are some difficult questions to answer about the future of E3. The rumored Call of Duty Modern Warfare Battle Royale mode looks like it will be called Warzone. And we have some idea of what the PlayStation 5 might cost. What is the future of E3? The future of E3 is a little up in the air right now, as the show, which is run by the ESA, the Entertainment Software Association, is struggling to retain some of its biggest players while it potentially shifts to a more consumer-friendly show than it has been in the past. Usually it's reserved for people in the industry and journalists, but in the last couple of years they've allowed uh, outside fans of games to come in, um, and they're trying to turn it into like a, a consumer-friendly show, and it's been kind of a difficult transition. Sony skipped E3 2019 and has already announced this year it is also skipping 2020. And then recently, the Game Awards Mastermind and just general video game industry personality and staple Jeff Keighley, who has historically worked closely with E3 and helped organize and host various E3 Coliseum panels, said in an interview with GameIndustry.biz, Given what has been publicly communicated about plans for E3 2020, I just don't feel comfortable participating in the show at this time. His absence, it does represent a significant blow to the overall show, even if it might not seem as significant as Sony's absence. He was he was important sort of uh, in the background of, of, you know, making that show exciting in, in many ways. Katie McCarthy over at usgamer.net spoke with ESA president Stanley Pierre-Louis about how the show is changing, and he told McCarthy and US Gamer, I think the biggest challenge is making sure that the show still amplifies the messaging. Last year was a great example. There were many, many games that were announced that were many, many months from being announced, and there was so much excitement about them and being able to share with them, and then you had the Keanu Reeves moment which is not something you can plan on. You can bring people on, you can talk about games and the like, but there was a special connection between him and the audience that day that captivated those online as well. And so it's how do you create more opportunities for those moments to take off and go viral? Pierre Lewis also talked about the ESA's plans to bring in more celebrity gamers, which was something that appeared in a leaked document last year that covered potential future plans for E3 and how that could potentially be important to the show's future. It seems clear that Pierre Lewis saw Keanu Reeves' cameo as a big win for E3 2019, but I mean, personally, I, I think the reason that that moment was so exciting was not just because Keanu Reeves was present, but also because it was an announcement that he would be involved with arguably the most anticipated game, period. I hope the ESA recognizes that, you know, the games are the stars and that just having stars isn't isn't really going to be enough. The ESA is just generally having a hard time right now as it is working to regain the trust of the public following a leak that exposed personal information of a large number of attendees. I'm one of the people that was affected by that. My personal information was part of that leak, so I 
I am definitely a little wary of the future of E3, but I do love the show and how so much exciting video game related announcements and reveals just all happen during this one week in the middle of the summer. I would love to see the show continue and thrive and serve as an annual destination for all the, you know, the major players in the video game industry. But I, I just think, I mean, sadly, I just think it's on the decline. Publishers are moving more and more towards curating their own events and making their own announcements on their own terms, and it's working well for them. If Nintendo can make a direct presentation that just lights up the internet on a random Tuesday, why would they compete with the rest of the video game industry in the middle of June? I mean, I get it. I, I get that direction, even as even if as a fan of E3, I would like to see it all you know, take place in, in one location at one time. I'm, I'm very curious to see what the future of the show looks like. Call of Duty Modern Warfare's Battle Royale mode is probably imminent. Since the release of Call of Duty Black Ops 4's very good and very fun Battle Royale mode, Blackout, the question has been lingering about what the future of Call of Duty Battle Royale will look like. Um, like, is Blackout just going to be an ongoing live service? Does each new Call of Duty get its own Battle Royale mode? Will it even be an ongoing multiplayer staple? Or was it just a one-off thing in Black Ops 4? Rumors that a Battle Royale mode for 2019's Call of Duty Modern Warfare uh, were swirling around the game even before it released, and and there have been various leaks and details trickling out about the potential mode every, it feels like every few weeks, but it has now received arguably its biggest leak recently, and though nothing is certain or official, you always gotta like, you know, grain of salt with all this stuff, it seems like it's going to be called Warzone, which is not to be confused with Halo 5's 24-player large-scale multiplayer mode, which is also called Warzone. The YouTube channel AK posted about a minute and a half of what appears to be the mode's tutorial area. And then uh, Mark Delaney over at GamesRadar is reporting that players are apparently reaching this area via a bug that inexplicably adds the option to enter Warzone from the main menu. It's all very strange and weird, but at this point, also, I mean, it's expected. As far as when Warzone, the Battle Royale mode, will officially exist and when it can be played, those details are all currently unknown. But, I mean, I really liked Blackout and Call of Duty Black Ops 4, so I'm excited to play Warzone, especially with uh, Modern Warfare's new engine. It's going to look great. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We have an idea of what the PlayStation 5 might cost. A recent report from Takashi Mochizuki from Bloomberg reports that the PlayStation 5 may cost between $400 and $500. Uh, Quoting from Mochizuki's Bloomberg article, the Japanese conglomerate is preparing to gradually replace the six-year-old PS4 console, releasing its PlayStation 5 the same holiday season as its arch-rival debuts the upcoming Xbox Series X. Sony typically finalizes a console's price in February of the release year, followed by mass production in the spring. With the PS5, the company is taking a wait-and-see approach, said the people asking not to be named because the details are private. That price is is definitely high, but, I mean, I, I think it sounds about right. The most expensive PlayStation 4 at the moment is the PlayStation 4 Pro, which you can go to the store right now and pick up for $399.99. And I always personally assumed the PlayStation 5, which is set to release later this year, would be higher than that, just considering the way consoles are typically priced and, you know, inflation and all those kinds of fun factors. The PlayStation 3 was announced at a $599 price tag, and that price really turned off consumers, which led Sony to have to make up a lot of ground in the race against the Xbox 360 and the Nintendo Wii. I mean, but in the end, though, the PlayStation 3 was a huge success, even with that rough, expensive start. Mochizuki also wrote in the Bloomberg article, People within the PlayStation business unit said a key factor in deciding the ultimate PlayStation 5 retail price will be where Microsoft sets its price for the next generation Xbox Series X. Microsoft is widely expected to hold that information back until the E3 Gaming Expo in Los Angeles in June. Which that's that's interesting there because if Sony's not going to be at E3 this year, I mean what does that mean? Does that mean Microsoft just gets all the uh all the exciting news and stuff like uh, surrounding its price and Sony comes out with a price after E3 or do they make an announcement during E3? I I have no idea. Mike Futter at Futterish on Twitter, the author of the Game Dev Business Handbook and Budgeting handbook uh he's also a former co-worker of mine a game informer and he's a person i trust with these sorts of matters because he's a smart guy and he tweeted a good point saying that people are misunderstanding the report about ps5 components if the console manufacturing costs 450 dollars, there is still packaging shipping wholesale and retail to consider 450 dollars isn't where the cost stops it's where it starts the worry here is a greater than 500 cost to consumers that may put Sony at a competitive disadvantage. We all remember the $599 price and how that dealt Sony a blow. That could put Microsoft in position to strike a blow on price. And if Microsoft faces the same thing, it will lead to lower adoption. That would position Nintendo well, but otherwise will have a downstream effect on developers and publishers, depending on licensing approach to next-gen titles. Anything over $499 is going to get a lot of negative attention and it's going to depress outlook for the near term. Which I think, uh, that coming from Mike Futter on Twitter, those are all solid points, and it raises that question that comes up often about, like, where does Nintendo fit in all this? Nintendo has, you know, they've always done their own thing, but now with the Switch releasing somewhere in the middle 
of a typical console generation and being as successful as it is, it really feels like Nintendo is just like off playing its own game somewhere in the distance while Sony and Microsoft butt heads and, you know, it'll all, they'll come to blows eventually uh, near the end of the year when uh, Series X and PlayStation 5 are supposed to release. So now we're on to game releases. Here is what is out today, Valentine's Day, Friday, February 14th. Media Molecule's Dreams is finally officially out today. It's exclusive to PS4 and it's $39.99. If you're unfamiliar, Dreams is Media Molecule's, you know, I guess you could say spiritual little big planet follow-up. And though I do refer to it as, you know, a game with air quotes, it's really... It's really more a game engine and is really a set of tools and tutorials for making games and art. And it's, I mean, it's it's really very cool. And in my mind, Dreams has been out since last year. The main tool set has been publicly available to buy and use for some time. And people have been making Dreams games for months. But today's the first day that it's not being referred to as an alpha or a beta. And it, and it, and it finally includes the campaign Arts Dream. And it's some, which is something that Media Molecule, the developer, made using Dreams as tools exclusively. It's super impressive, but it's relatively short. Honestly, if you're interested in playing Dreams, the Arts Dream campaign mostly just serves as an impressive prologue for the bulk of the experience and what it can do. The main draw of Dreams, if you don't fancy yourself a creator, is playing other people's creations, of which there are already thousands. Street Fighter V Champion Edition is also out today on PS4 and PC for $29.99. Street Fighter has historically been a series that releases multiple versions of a single game, and, and Street Fighter V is no different. Champion Edition has all the DLC that has been released for Street Fighter V since its release in 2016, though it is missing a few things like Capcom Pro Tour content, sponsored costumes, and fighting chance outfits. The big addition, arguably, is the inclusion of second V skills for every character in the game. Darksiders Genesis is out today on PS4, Xbox One, and Switch for $39.99. Darksiders Genesis came out last year on PC and Google Stadia, and its, its development is kind of interesting. The first two Darksiders games were made by Vigil, a studio co-founded by comic book artist and writer, and Battle Chasers creator Joe Madura, but... Vigil was owned by THQ, and when THQ collapsed, Vigil basically split into two studios, Gunfire Games and Airship Syndicate, and Madura was one of the founders of the the latter one, Airship Syndicate. Gunfire Games made Darksiders 3, which starred the third horseman, Fury, and that game felt closer to Darksiders 1 and 2, but then Airship Syndicate handled development for this new game, Genesis, which plays a fair bit differently than the first three, and it is also being treated more as more as a, uh, a side story, and it features the fourth horseman, Strife, as a playable character. I actually visited the studio in Austin, Texas last year to check out the game for Game Informer, and I met Joe Madura, and they were all super gracious and welcoming, and uh, being a fan of those first three games, I, I'm excited to play Genesis on my Switch, specifically. Also, starting today is the public beta for Ninja Theory's upcoming multiplayer action game, Bleeding Edge. Ninja Theory is known predominantly for games like Heavenly Sword, Enslaved Odyssey to the West, uh, DMC Devil May Cry, which is you know my favorite Devil May Cry, but I recognize that that's a controversial opinion. And then the studio also made Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice recently. 
Bleeding Edge is the studio's first release since being purchased by Microsoft, and it's different from the studio's typical performance capture-focused recent releases. It's a four-player online brawler, and if you're a Game Pass subscriber, you can check out the game between today, Friday, February 14th, you know, starting at uh, 10 a.m. this morning until Monday, February 17th at 12 a.m. Pacific time. It uh, That game, it seems like a strange fit for the studio because their most recent release, uh, Hellblade, was an emotional game all about the nature of psychosis. But, you know, way before Heavenly Sword and Enslaved Odyssey to the West, uh, before they were even called Ninja Theory, the studio was called Just Add Monsters. And it released a goofy multiplayer brawler for the original Xbox called Kung Fu Chaos. So maybe this is the studio getting back to its nearly 20-year-old roots. Uh, I don't know. I guess we'll find out this weekend. I'm looking forward to giving it a shot. Uh, it's time to check in on the Sonic the Hedgehog movie Rotten Tomatoes score. <laughs> I recognize this is a little bit of a funky way to do this, since if you're listening to the first two episodes here, that means you're now looking into the past because these two episodes were recorded first and then released later. But yesterday, February 13th, it was at 70% with six-year views logged. Today... It's official release day, Friday, February 14th. It now has 96 reviews, and it has dropped down to 65%, which puts it behind Detective Pikachu on Rotten Tomatoes' scale. But, you know, it is still a fresh tomato, so I, I'm, I'm proud of Sonic, especially when you factor in expectations. I really like watching Rotten Tomato scores. It fascinates me, uh, if that wasn't apparent. And my wife and I play a game where I look at the score of movies and ask her what she thinks a score will be. And uh, when we played the game with Sonic yesterday, her first guess was like 25%. So if you factor in expectations like that, the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, I mean, it might be the best the best movie ever made. I, I should probably go see it. So that's it for today's episode. I'm still playing Kunai, which I'm still enjoying. I got to the second major boss last night, and it was the kind of boss I appreciate in that it was less about just hitting them as much as possible and more about figuring out the series of tasks that had to be completed to defeat them. And then, you know, you got to do that all while avoiding damage. I I still recommend it if you're into Metroid-like action games. I'm also making my way through Metroid Prime. I'm streaming it a few times a week. You can find me on Twitch at Kyle Impersonator and... I still want as much feedback as you're willing to give me uh, and corrections, feedback, corrections. You can email me, kyle at ridehome.info, and you can find me on Twitter at Kyle M. Hilliard. My DMs are open. If you don't want to publicly shout at me, I'll accept your DM. Uh, But yeah, let me know what you want from the show. Let me know what you like. Let me know what you hate. Um, I will talk to you guys tomorrow. Thanks so much.